Well, good morning and welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday service. Happy Easter. Jesus is risen. He has conquered sin and death. He has brought new life and victory through his atoning work, setting us free from all of the bondage of, of, of our sins and the wickedness that had kept us in, enslaved. And Jesus freed us when he died on the cross and then rose victorious three days later. Uh, Faith on Hill meets every Sunday morning online and in person at 10.30 a.m. Uh, you can find an audio-only version of all of our uh, podcasts and teaching on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill. And then Sunday mornings, uh, the video version is on our Facebook page and on our website, faithonhill.com. And if you're on our Facebook page, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Feel free to share the video. Um, but we do believe that the best viewing and interactive experience is on our website. Now, let you know about a few things that are going on around here. Um, our church is part of a group of churches called the Pacific Conference. And... Uh, you know, there's those conversations you know you need to have and you just never find the right time or the place or the settings wrong. Well, for a number of years, we've known that we need to have a conversation about uh, the role of women in leadership and specifically pastoral leadership in our churches. And it just never felt like the right time. In fact, we tried to have a, uh, a good conversation about it at our annual conference a couple years ago, and it just didn't go well, it wasn't the right setting. So what we've done as a group of churches is we are facilitating what we're calling our Theology and Community series. And starting this week, it'll be um, four weeks in a row every other week, we will be meeting on Zoom and going through a guided discussion um, where, where people can safely ask questions, they can voice opinion or, or raise a concern or a, a comment without feeling like they're going to get attacked from whatever side. And uh, we can just work through this together in a guided way. I'll be one of the leaders uh, who will be facilitating that conversation. And we have a link on our Facebook page. Uh, also, Wednesday nights, we have our Zoom small group. Now, we have some other small groups that meet throughout the week, but our Zoom one is online. It's easily accessible. You can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com if you don't have the link. Our youth group meets every Tuesday night in the fellowship hall. So if you're in middle school or high school or you know somebody who is, uh, we would love to see you there with Jake and Heather and our youth group. And then, uh, uh, then finally, um, like I said, uh, we meet every Sunday morning online and in person. And this last week, we had a great time. We, uh, got online uh, each day and remembered what Jesus did throughout Holy Week. And then this last Friday, we had a great uh, Good Friday service with our brothers and sisters at Life Journey Community Church, and they came and joined with us. And we remember Jesus' death. Today, we are celebrating his resurrection and victory. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of the Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible, chapter 5. And we're going to see what the victory of Jesus means as we celebrate our salvation. Revelation chapter 5. The Apostle John, one of Jesus' 12 closest followers, the disciples, uh, he was the last of the disciples left alive. And he was well advanced in years. He was probably in his 90s. And he had a vision while he was imprisoned on a uh, island prison called Patmos. And he had this vision of Jesus and a vision of things to come. 
And in chapter 5, he sees the throne room of heaven. And it says in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. So these seals were probably like, um, like if you've seen on the back of an old-timey letter, there'd be like a wax or a clay seal that would be heated up, and then it would be placed where the letter would be uh, sealed, kind of like you seal an envelope. And then uh, oftentimes, somebody's signet or ring would be pressed into the wax or the clay to signify this is the person who had sealed it. And then it would dry, and the only way to get access to the scroll or the letter was to pop the seal open. And then that way you could know it had not been tampered with. It was a security feature. So this scroll has been sealed, but not just once, but seven times. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. So what John is saying is that the call is put out. Who is worthy? And no one in heaven, no angel, no spiritual being is worthy. No one on earth, no one living, no human, no one under the earth, which means anyone who has died. There is nobody living or who has lived who is worthy. Verse 3. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept, verse 4, and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Now, in verse 5, that seven spirits could be translated sevenfold. Do we fully understand what that means? No. But we can see a picture of the Trinity. There's somebody sitting on the throne. There's the Lamb. And there's the Spirit of God. Verse 7, He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power 
and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is God's word, and it is a word of victory, it is a word of triumph, and it is a word of hope for us today. So John sees this vision of the throne room, and there is this scroll. Like I said, it's been sealed with this security seal, wax or clay, seven times. What is this scroll? Why is it causing John to weep? And not just like shed a tear, right? Like, you know, something happens and, you, and your eyes get a little watery. Something happens and like one tear rolls down your face. No, it says he wept and he wept. He was like, you know, just, just going at it. Like he's just crying and, and weeping. And he's just, it's, it's like ugly crying, right? What is this scroll that's causing that response? Tell you the truth, I don't 100% know. There are different views about what this scroll is. I know that in, in Jewish culture, well, let me even back up from that. Think of a scroll. A scroll would have been written sideways. I always think of scrolls as like, you know, you unroll the scroll and you read it from top to bottom, but apparently it's actually the opposite. Somebody would sit scroll would be placed on their lap and it would be rolled out and they would read. And then as they would read, somebody would start to re-roll it. And so then by the time they're done reading the scroll, it would have been rolled back up. You usually only wrote on one side of the scroll. Usually. The exceptions were in two cases that we know of. In ancient uh, Jewish times, like back in the times of Daniel, like we've been studying on Sunday mornings, uh, there's indication from the book of Jeremiah, who was a prophet around the time of Daniel, that this kind of scroll and with the seals and so forth uh, was used as a legal deed, like the deed that you have for your car or for your house or for land that you might own. Um, and then in, in John's day, in the Roman culture, you had a scroll that was written on on both sides and then sealed multiple times, like seven times. And that was usually like a last will and testament. And the reason that you would have to write on both sides is because when a scroll's been wrapped up and then sealed, how do you know which scroll it is? Um, now, most people didn't have multiple scrolls. To have scrolls and to have books and things that are written was something that rich people had. Or maybe a community pooled their resources, and that's why a town would have you know, the scrolls of the, the Torah, the Word of God, in their synagogue because they had pooled their resources as a village or as a community together. But in some places, especially in, in uh, you know, government facilities and things like that where they had multiple scrolls and they were sealed, how do you know what's inside the scroll? So you had to write on the outside to say, hey, this is the last will and testament of so-and-so, or this is the legal deed of ownership for this piece of property of, or this field or whatever it was. So some people have said that this is the title deed to the earth and that 
This is showing Jesus' right to take possession back of the earth. Others have said that this is like God's will. He, he, is, he is enacting his will on the earth. And certainly, if you continue to read through the book of the Revelation, you see that every time the Lamb removes one of the seals from the scroll, the judgment of God, the justice of God against a wicked, wicked world is enacted. And with each seal being removed, more judgment comes. So whether it is the title deed of the earth, whether it's God's will, whether it's something else, I don't think it totally matters. What matters is is that John understood that this scroll needed to be opened. That this scroll not being opened, nobody being worthy to take the scroll from the hand of him who sat on the throne was a horrifying thing. Whatever it is, whatever this scroll is, not being able to open it is a tragedy in John's eyes. And whatever this scroll is, we know as we read the rest of the book, it is directly linked to ending the madness. I'm going to say that again. It is directly linked to ending the madness of this world. We live in a fallen and broken world. And I'm going to be honest and say that we hide from ourselves how fallen and how broken it is. We, we find a version of history that is acceptable. And we understand that there's evil. We understand that there's brokenness. But we, we try to find a version of that where they're the bad guys who need God to judge them and then we're okay. That's not the case. All have sinned, the Bible says in the book of Romans. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. Every single person who has ever lived, your favorite teacher when you were in school, your grandma, you, me, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have walked in wickedness. All of us have contributed to the fallen nature of this world. All of us. And not being able to open the scroll causes John to just lose it. And I'll tell you what. If... If, if I didn't have the hope of Jesus, I'd lose it too. I'd lose it too. I, 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 am, I am just absolutely convinced because what would be the point if there was no fixing things? Because we've, we've never once in human history showed that we could fix anything, right? And every time we've said, oh, it's going to get better, this will be the thing that fixes it. Nope. The problems just come back around again. The, the, the issue, the core issue remains. You might cure a symptom, but the core, the root of the problem is still there. And then, John is, is weeping and weeping, but verse 5, this 
elder, one of the 24 elders that sits around the throne of God in heaven, goes over to John and, and just says, don't weep. It's okay. There's good news. And what's his, his solution to John's despair? Does he give him a pep talk like, oh, it's going to be all okay? Does he, does he, you know, say, hey, you just need to take a nap, you know, or you just need to go on vacation? No, he says, look at the lamb. Look at the lamb. If you're a Christian, you and I, we have the same job as that elder. We need to point people to the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if you are not a Christian, if you do not have saving faith, if you do not have that hope in your heart that Jesus has set you free, then look at the Lamb. Look to Jesus. Because without Him, there is no hope. Without Him, the right response is to lose it the way John did. Look at the Lamb. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the same job. Point people to the Lamb. And then he sees the Lamb. Verse 6. Then I looked and I saw a Lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say this is pretty obviously talking about Jesus. The lamb looking as if it had been slain and yet very much alive. And he takes the scroll and he begins to open it. He takes it in his hand and all of heaven declares his praise. What shame. There are so many people who walk around with shame. We don't even realize it that they walk around with feelings of shame and disgrace, either for something they have done or for something that had been done to them. I mean, think about this. One in three women in America and one in eight men, and everybody agrees that that number is far too conservative. It's much more. But officially, one in three women, one in eight men, have been abused physically or sexually in America. And you hear story after story of somebody who's been abused who walks around with that feeling of shame or disgrace from something that somebody did to them. It wasn't their fault. On the flip side, if one in three women and far more than one in eight men have been abused, Think about how many people have abused somebody. And maybe you walk around and you say, you know what? I, this whole Me Too movement that's gone on, and I, I think that I know that I'm guilty in, in high school or something else. I'm not, I'm not confessing myself. I'm just saying like somebody walking around saying, you know what? I think that I'm guilty of something. I didn't realize but as I've kind of had this awareness and now I've got all this guilt and shame. What shame? What sin? There are people who believe that they are too far gone for God to reach. 
You know, if God, if you knew what I'd done, you wouldn't like me. That's maybe true. And if you knew, <laughs> if you knew the depths of my heart, maybe you wouldn't like me. But Jesus knows the depths of your sin. He knows the depths of my sin. And yet he still died on the cross for you and for me. What guilt. Like I said, people are just walking around with guilt. What trial. You're going through, I mean, we've all gone through trials this last year, but maybe you've been going through a trial and you can see no way out, no hope. What struggle. You've been battling addiction. You've been battling health issues. You've been battling mental health issues. You've been battling relational trials. Name a shame, a sin, a guilt, a trial, a struggle, something that's your fault, something that had nothing to do with you, but you're still inflicted by it. Name something where Jesus cannot and will not work. I don't believe it exists. When the elder says to John, look at the lamb, he is saying that to you and to me. Look at Jesus. Because the grave is empty, because Jesus conquered sin and death when he died and then rose again on Easter Sunday, we are set free. And there is no shame or sin, guilt or trial or struggle where Jesus is not the answer. And then in verse 6, John looks and he sees the lamb. And that's his sole focus going forward. But you know who else is there? He's in the throne room of God in heaven. And there are thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of angels, we're told. And there are thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of people from every tribe and tongue and, and nation and language. And and above all that, there are these four living creatures. And they're not, this isn't the only time we see them. They're described here in the book of Revelation. They're described in Isaiah chapter 6. And they are so weird and strange that the only thing that the Bible authors could do is say that they're creatures and they're alive. That's all we know. And they have wings, like six wings. Not just two wings, but six wings. And on these wings are covered with eyes on both sides. And they're weird and strange. And the lamb makes them boring. That they are not the most interesting thing in the room. Jesus, the lamb, is what mattered. And he makes everything else kind of go, fades away. He's the focus. Can I make a suggestion to you? The reason that Jesus is so important and so worthy and so much the center of attention is that he was worthy to open the scroll. And why was he worthy? Because his death was an acceptable sacrifice to God. That somebody had to pay the price for sin. And Jesus paid that price. And we know that he was acceptable because he rose from the dead victorious three days later on that first Easter Sunday. And because of that, he makes everything else in that place unimportant. He is the singular focus. Can I suggest to you that that focus is what all of us need? A renewed, a fresh, or even a first time singular focus on the risen Savior.
Now the rest of the verses here, from verse 7 to the end of the chapter, everything is about worshiping Jesus. The angels worship. The elders worship. Everyone worships. They celebrate their salvation. You know, people say, oh, when I get to heaven, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Read this and then try to tell me when I get to heaven. I think the when I get to heaven kind of statements you'll hear from people. When I get to heaven, I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. No, you won't. When I get to heaven, I'm just so excited. I'm going to see Grandma Sally and she was my favorite. And I just, I fully believe that at some point in eternity, yes, we will have reunions of friends and family. But they won't be the first thing. And quite honestly, I don't think that they will care about seeing you or me because Jesus will be the focus. And then in verse 8, Jesus works and we respond. What does it say in verse 8? When he had taken it, the scroll, he takes it. He does his work. He's victorious. The four living creatures and the 24 elders bow down before the Lamb. So Jesus works. We respond. You know, this isn't the first time that John has wept. The the first time that John has felt hopeless. We're told in multiple gospel accounts that after Jesus died, his remaining disciples, other than Judas, his remaining disciples gathered together and they hid in fear and despair. This isn't the first time John has wept. This isn't the first time John has despaired. But then... The women come back, specifically Mary Magdalene, but also other women, come back from the tomb and they say, hey, the tomb is empty. And Mary says, I saw the risen Jesus. First person to proclaim the resurrection was a woman named Mary. Can a woman preach the gospel? Absolutely. It's already happened. And it says that Peter and John ran to the tomb to see. And it's Jesus' victory, that empty tomb that makes him worthy for his triumph here in Revelation chapter 5. And in the same way Jesus works and we respond, faith in Jesus makes us right before God. Jesus has worked and we respond. So there are two big words that I think every person should know. One of them is justification. Justification means you're made right before God. And because of Jesus' death and resurrection and his victory on that Easter Sunday, we are justified. We are made right before God. And we look at the lamb who was slain but is very much alive for our good standing, the the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of our sins. But not just that. We trust in the power of the Lamb who gives us victory in this life. Not just hope for eternity, although we have that, but we can live in victory here and now. Jesus can remove the bitterness. He can remove the shame. He can remove the guilt. He can remove the old prejudices and hatreds. Jesus can bring us to a place of new life and hope. 
Our story doesn't have to be one of failure or victim. Our story doesn't have to be one of bondage or defeat. Our story is one of victory. The Bible says that we died and our lives are now hidden in God through Christ. And what that means is when we died, it says we died to our old selves. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we said, you know what? There was that old Adam, but he is dead. And I am a new creation, alive because of Jesus' work. That I have hope because Jesus, the lamb who was slain, is now resurrected. And he sits in the throne room of heaven, going to God the Father for you and for me, saying, that one is mine. That one is mine. And if you say, I'm not one of Jesus's, he wants to make you his. So this morning, wherever you're at, it might not even be this morning. Maybe you're listening to this or, or you're watching this later this week or, or, or months or years in the future. This will be online for quite a while, you know. Wherever you are at, if you have not placed a saving faith in Jesus, if you have not surrendered your life to him, if you are still slave to your sin, call out to Jesus. Jesus, free me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I surrender myself to you. I believe that Jesus does and will hear that prayer. And for those of us who are Christians, but you know what? We're still in the struggle. We're still like John. John was a Christian, but he's weeping and he's, he's just losing it. And we say, I need to see the lamb fresh. I need to look at Jesus with fresh eyes for fresh power and fresh strength. I know that God's forgiven me. I know that I'm a child of God. But now I want to be victorious in Jesus' power. God hears that prayer too. And we can rejoice in the work that Jesus did on the cross and the, the new life and the hope that we have because he has risen from the dead. I pray that the grace of God is with you this week. I pray that you know the fullness of how much God loves you. I pray that you know the fullness of how much God has forgiven us. I pray that you know the hope that comes from being full of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. And I pray that you live in it and point others. Hey, look at the Lamb. God bless you. Jesus is risen and we live in that victory. We'll see you this week on our Zoom group and next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m.